PK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at The Warehouse at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, yeah. Boom! Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU assistant coach. He was on Rickman Jarris' staff at the U. Now you hear him on the jazz pre-half and post-game. With Jake, he will be there tonight, 7 o'clock. The Jazz and the Nets, the game tips at 8. Tim, good morning. I love those 8 o'clock tips. I cannot get enough of them, especially for home game. It's just awesome. I believe there's There's a little bit of sarcasm uh, in the mix here. Nothing like I-15 at 1 in the morning. It's awesome. (laughs) All right, so looking at the box score from the Brooklyn Nets game in Portland last night, couple things jump out at you. One, the Nets won without two of their three stars. Uh, they got the victory in Portland, so there's that. And then the second thing is Harden had to play 40 minutes to get that four-point win. It went right down to the end of the game. It was a tight game, and they won it. But Harden had to go 40 minutes. What do you expect out of him, including the possibility of not playing at all? Everything on the table, what would you think? Um, you know, if he does play, play in that many minutes, um, on a back-to-back is a, is a beast. So um, I would say that I'd be surprised. I, he's listed as questionable, right? I have not seen. I don't know okay. that. He may well I be. I saw I that somewhere. You but, may have. You know, I don't know. I may be dreamt about it. Um, <laughs> I, no, but I, if he does play, uh, you know, it'll be a – I'm sure minutes will be watched and everything else. It's certainly not going to be – uh, a preview of the NBA Finals, put it that way. There's there's going to be a lot of people missing. All right, so in a sense, how dangerous does that make this team? If they they're already going to have two guys, two stars missing in Durant and Irving, and they didn't have either of those guys against Portland, but yet they still managed to find a way to win. And to to an extent, from the Jazz per perspective, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah, these games have been. Uh... It seems like we played a lot of them, uh, played a lot of games with people missing. I think that's probably due to the the way the season's compacted and the way people are managing their rosters, obviously, and then um, the, the injuries on top of that. But uh, it, it's been something the Jazz have dealt with, uh, and they've actually done a pretty good job of staying focused. I think that's the biggest, I guess, pitfall is when teams are missing, you know, multiple guys, you know, I think just – psychologically it can be a a thing where hey we really don't need to extend all this energy tonight we'll find a way to win but the, the most important thing is that the jazz keep focusing on the things that are working and uh you know that last game um you know they, they did a great job of of getting kind of getting back to what they do uh they, they really guarded well uh in chicago and um you know they made levine uh, pretty inefficient, made him take a lot of shots to get his points. So they did a nice job on him. And they kept the, the points per possession, you know, defensively under 100, which is the first time that's happened in a bit. So all, all those things are very, very positive signs. 
So on the list of things you're doing well that you want to keep doing, well, you want Joe Ingles to go 18 of 22 from the three-point arc over a three-game span. And he's done that, 8 of 10, 5 of 6, 5 of 6. But that can't possibly be sustained because nobody shoots 81% from three in the long run. So what has to get better to make up for Joe inevitably, you know, cooling off to the mid-70s? It's been crazy. You know, David said the other night, I mean, the way the Jazz shot the ball from three, the number of threes they made, um, and the percentage they shot, you know, was all very, very positive. Given uh, with, uh, you know, Donovan uh, didn't shoot the, his typical percentage from three. Uh, Clarkson is really kind of, for the first time since he's been traded here, is in a little bit of a shooting slump um, and struggling right now to see it go in and bowie on. So what Joe's basically done is he's just kind of picked up for everybody else. I mean, it's kind of what you guys do at the station. You know, you, you do more than <laughs> your fair share uh, to make everybody else look better. And, um, and and I would say it's about darn time that you guys get some kind of bonus from Joe for, for the karma. There's got to be karma in, attached to his shooting right now, and, and I think it's because he's with you guys weekly. Oh, yeah, I don't think there's any question. I think that uh... – I discovered him, I like to say. Well, I know you've been working with him after practice, too, PK, in an undisclosed location. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get masked, him to raise the ball higher. Masked, of course, but you're just working on that quick release. Oh, I, I, He's so bored now. He's going Larry Bird, and he's just going to shoot threes right-handed. It, it, it's amazing to watch how much of a rhythm he's in, and we talked about this on the, the post game the other night. But, I mean, he's catching that ball at about – above his forehead and he's barely dipping his elbow you know he's just flicking that thing he catches it and it's almost like it's already on its way he just has a great great rhythm going right now so that is something that not only joe's got to work on that release point but then everybody who's passing him the ball has to know that's the target that's the sweet spot and there's a story about john stockton and i don't know who it was um, but it was somebody who played here who wrote a book, and I don't know, it was somebody in the 80s, I don't know, it was, I don't know who it was, but whoever it was wrote a book, there can only be a handful of guys who did that, and they said the first thing that happened when they met Stockton was he, he didn't even greet them like most people do, so it was just kind of like, hey, welcome to the club, where do you want the ball? He's like, what? He's like, where do you want me to pass you the ball? Where's your shooting motion? And the guy kind of m- mimicked it without a ball, and Stockton nodded and turned around and walked away. The target's important, not making a guy move his feet, reach down to his ankles to catch the ball or whatever. The target's important. So it's awesome that Joe's moved his shooting motion and has it so compact and so high, but everybody else on the team deserves a little credit too. Yeah, it's, it's the idea, and we used to talk about this all the time. I actually picked it up at the camp I was at. Um, but the idea of swishing your passes. You know, you talk all the time about uh, shooting the ball and not trying not to hit any rim and be really precise. Um, you know, players work on that from, from short range to really kind of work on touch and release. Uh, same thing can be said for passing. You know, you want to switch your passes. You, you know the target, you see the target, and you try to get that thing as close to the target as possible. Um, you know, another guy that the, guy, the Jazz have done a great job of adjusting to where he catches the ball well and where he doesn't is Rudy Gobert. Uh, Mike Conley actually went through I think, you know, a better part of a year last year trying to figure out, you know, where the lobs go, where the bounce passes go. Um, and this year you see him put a little bit more um, 
uh, a little bit more oomph, I guess, on the bounce pass to get it up a little higher. Yeah, Rudy's really good when it's waist or higher. Anything below that, you know, for a big guy is difficult. So uh, you hit a great point, DJ. Not just pass the ball, but pass the ball well. Um, you know, be unselfish, but also have an understanding of where it's going and who's getting it and, and what they can do with it. Is Alex Jensen going to be the new coach of the Utes? Man, I you know you would think I would know um, because I know Al so well. And but it's one of those things in, in life you just gotta. I know he is right now in the middle of an awesome season, probably the one of the better seasons he's ever been a part of uh, since the Final Four run at Utah. The Jazz are just playing so well; they're so well thought of, and their best team in the league. So he's got to balance that right now with uh, what I would assume, you know, at times probably thought of through his life as a place he could end up and possibly a, you know, quote unquote, I don't know this, he's never told me this, but a dream job from, a, you know, being able to go back home. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a really hard decision because he really is imminent to be a, an NBA head coach. But I've told a couple people, you know, that's all well and good, but they still have to hire you and. You know, they're still recycling. I, I'm still waiting for Hubie Brown to get another chance or George Carl to be recycled or, um, you know, Stan all Is Stan all Larry Brown. Larry Stan Brown. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think he is right there, but I also don't know what necessarily mean know what right there means in coaching because it can go so many different directions. I mean, Jim Boylan was that coach in the NBA. So, I mean, you just never can predict because um, that's not anything uh, you know I would have predicted um, of Jim being a head coach. So I, uh, you know, I've got selfish interests there because Alex Jensen is one of my favorite people of all time. Uh, when I was a, a volunteer manager, you know, back when I was in my early twenties and I was trying to get into coaching and, and uh, I chose that route. You know. What people don't understand is you, know, you get home from a, a road trip about two or three in the morning sometimes, um, and the bus pulls up in front of the school and it's freezing cold outside and everybody goes their separate way, and the managers have a bunch of stuff they got to load into the bowels of the Huntsman Center. And I'll never forget one night. I mean, there were two managers that traveled, and uh, my my buddy Mike Curtis and I were the managers. We were dragging stuff across the the parking lot of the Huntsman and I heard footsteps and turned around and everybody else is kind of leaving for their cars and Al Jensen grabs a bunch of stuff and he's, he starts hauling the stuff in with us. And, um, you know, his nickname at that point kind of stuck because in the middle of a blizzard and we had a bunch of stuff to carry called him St. Al and I've always called him St. Al and he's been, uh, one of those dudes in my life that has always been there and it doesn't matter if we haven't seen each other for a year or two or five, you know, when we talk, it's like going back in time. So, again, from a selfish interest, uh, you know, my, I know Johnny Bryant's name's been mentioned, too, and Johnny's a, a former player of ours. Um, it's getting really weird that former players are being discussed as head coaches. It really makes you feel old. Um, but my hope is that, bottom line is, it works out for whoever it is. Um, Alex seems to be the one that everybody's talking about right now, but I've seen these things go different directions. So, um I'm going to stand over here in the corner and kind of wait and see what happens and then really be excited to jump behind whoever it is and, and you know, offer support having been a former guy there for a lot of years. So you mentioned something there um, 
about going to the college game, and you can really speak about this because you had to do it. And I think we've all heard that one of uh, Alex's reservations, um, not not maybe not today, but in the past when he's thought about college, is he didn't really want to recruit. That was not his favorite part of the job when he worked for Rick at St. Louis. But if you're going to be good, you have to recruit, and you have to be all in on recruiting, and you have to be really good at it. Can you speak to what an awful part of the job that is for some people? There's probably some people who love it. But for the people who don't love it, what's it like to have to work it up and just like get the enthusiasm going for it? Because you know it's important, even if you don't really like it. Yeah, you know, it's more difficult now um, with you know the way kids are transferring, and it's almost as though they make a decision for a year um, and then you know, the, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal for the rest of their career. And the way that the rules are moving, I mean, recruiting is, you know, you're not just recruiting guys, you know, that aren't part of your program. You better be recruiting the dudes in your program every day. So recruiting is the life. You guys have heard this a million times, and it, but it's the truth. Recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. Um, and you really do have to find – um, an advantage. Uh, typically, that's done through you know getting really good assistance. Um, sometimes it's done through getting really good assistance and offering money as well. I mean that's been done before. Don't don't blush, but that's been done before. It does. It, you know most of the teams that are still playing um, have probably figured out a way to to compensate guys. But the bottom line is this: um, it's a huge part of what you do. You better figure it out. And whether you like it or not, uh, you better find a, a really strong passion for it because at the end of the day, you are as good as the players on your team um, and, and your ability to coach them up. And certainly you want to start with really good players that you can coach up to a higher level. So um, it, 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 there's a lot of gratifying things with recruiting. There's a lot of really disappointing and difficult things. Um, but I think that the most important thing that, you know, getting into coaching in the college level, they don't just show up, you know, like in the pros, you don't just, you don't draft them and they sign and you show up and they're there and they're yours. Um, even more so now you're lucky if you sign a kid, you know, uh, and he actually shows up to school because, uh, it, it is an eternal battle and it's just going to continue to get worse. So how much does the head coach have to recruit? versus the roles of the assistant coaches? I think it's it's a great question, PK, and, and I think it really does vary. Um, you know, some guys are, as head coaches, can kind of consider themselves the, the closer, and, um, you know, you, you have interactions with them, but the assistants are doing the majority of it. Uh, I think the higher-level players really want uh, to understand the, the personality of the head coach, what the head coach is all about, you know, how they, how that head coach sees them and wants to use them because they're ultimately, they're the ones making the decision. So um, wherever that point comes where the head coach is totally 100% engaged is different and varies. But I would say that the guys who are, you know, really great recruiters get in really early and have a system by which uh, this recruit by, you know, the end of, the, the recruiting cycle, the year recruiting cycle, you have a really good feel, or the kids should have a really good feel for what the head coach is all about. Given how the game has changed over 25 years, uh, do you think that what is required to be a head coach on a resume has changed? Because, you know, 25 years ago, Chris Hill would have told you or me 
or uh, PK, he would have said, hey, we're the University of Utah. They're in the Mountain West at this point. He says, we're at the point now where we don't have to give people their first chance coach in college basketball. I want to find a coach who's won and had a track record. Rick Majerus had good teams at Ball State. He went and hired a guy who took Eastern Washington, the NCAA tournament, when he got Ray Giacoletti. He didn't want to give people their first chance. Now, in the case of Johnny Bryant, he hasn't been a head coach anywhere. In the case of uh, Alex Jensen, he's been a head coach in the G League, which isn't the same thing. I mean, you are a head coach, but you're not running a program and a staff in the same way. But I'm curious how much it's changed now because the elite players want to get to the NBA. Both Alex Jensen and Johnny Bryan can say, hey, I'm a player development guy. I know what it takes to get to the NBA. I worked with, in the case of uh, Johnny Bryant, Gordon Hayward. In the case of Alex Jensen, I worked with Rudy Gobert. They've got a really good story to tell in that area. How much should that matter versus the traditional what Chris Hill was saying 25 years ago, which is largely how it did work 25 years ago, and to a degree it's how it works now too. Yeah, I think there's there's a uh, <clears throat> there's an important part of, of having a story to tell, and really, I think that when it comes to hiring a coach nowadays, um, you certainly want to hire somebody with experience. I mean, uh, at the University of Utah, um, you know, I know there were a bunch of, of assistants locally whose names were thrown out, and I just don't feel like it's a job right now where they're going to hire an assistant at the college level to cut his teeth. I think where you've got um, the NBA and, and guys who have been, uh, like you mentioned, Al, who's been a, a G League head coach and also, um, you know, the main the head assistant at the, with the Jazz, and Johnny's obviously the associate head coach with the Knicks. You, you, get, you have a story to tell there. And in recruiting, that's really the most important thing. What is your focus going to be? Are you going to talk about – um, you know, you're going to get them a degree. That's, that's what you used to tell kids, you know, 20 years ago. Hey, we're going to get you in here. We're going to get you a degree. Everybody was happy. They left you alone for four years. You got the degree. You kind of, margin, you know, figured out what the, what their career was like. Um, nowadays, it's totally different. You know, they show up. The parents are there. Um, you know, one of the first questions asked is, can we hire our own workout guy? You know, um, can we this? Can we that? Um, and as a coach, I mean, the most important thing is you got to have a story. You got to have some some really valuable experience, and then you got to be uh, you got to be real comfortable and confident in what you're going to push. And player development's a great one nowadays. I mean, so many people lead with that. Um, everybody wants to get better. Um, you know, there's a there's a a funny thing. Most kids show up, you know, in college, and, and they all know the odds. They all know the odds of playing at the next level. But in their mind, you know, it's not going to be them that's left out. So they're all looking at how can I figure out a way to get through this college experience best for me um, and get myself to the league. And so if you've got a guy who's actually been there and been behind the, the scenes and can tell the stories and talk about players and their development and all that stuff, I think that does kind of catch you up um, with, say, guys that have had mid-major jobs and done got a good job leading a program. So. Again, it comes down to more than anything the story you tell. Tim, we will hear you tonight. Jazz and the Nets, 7 o'clock pregame. You'll be there with Jake Scott. The game will tip at 8, and you will be on I-15 at about 1 in the morning. So, hey, where are you gonna, What are you going to be doing about 1? <laughs> Sleeping. You want to recap the game with me just in the car? Just keep me awake. I am your guide to help kill time on the drive to the game. 
But on yeah, the way home, except for I messed you up on that last time. I was you, like, I'll call you back. You did. You left me hanging. I'll call you back. I didn't know you were in Salt you Lake all day. You like that uh, Dirty Deeds Dunder Cheap we came in with? That was good. I liked it. That was me screaming. Uh, you're the man. Tim, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Keep PK. Uh, P- PK, have you got your second vaccine yet? Uh, for what? <laughs> for what? Uh, mumps. The booster, the mumps booster. I'd have to get the first one before I get the second one. Started to slide into Majerus there with the mumps booster. I heard that. Oh, you know, I, I got the mumps booster. Uh, you know, it really sent me for all. Okay. Yeah. All right, Tim Lacombe, man of many talents, impersonations, music, basketball, and he joins us here every week on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, DJ and PK in the morning. We'll get you up to speed on everything you missed in this show next. Stay with us. Harden against Covington up top, working right, stumbling through to the rim, laid it off the window and in, and he got tripped up and a foul to boot. Griffin against McCollum, backing him in, turns, oh, muscles it right up and in as Blake Griffin used his size and strength to go right through McCollum that time. Johnson, baseline, turnaround, good for Tyler Johnson. Off the 17th assist for James Harden. Time to get you up to speed on everything you've missed in today's show. We have talked about the Nets. They are playing the Jazz tonight. It's a late game for ESPN, 8 o'clock. Tip, Vivint Sports, uh, Vivint Arena, uh, the Jazz at home here. And this is 11-14 of 14 at home for the Jazz. There have been a lot of road games, but it all evens out. You're going to play half of them at home, half of them on the road. And they got 11-14 of 14 at home now. This is a chance to get on a roll. They've won two in a row. The Nets are playing back-to-back. They were in Portland last night. And they don't have Kevin Durant. He's played less than half the games this season. Kyrie Irving, personal family man matter. He's not on the trip. They've excused him for three games. So Harden's got to carry the load. And he did. He played 40 minutes last night. And PK, if he comes in gas today, if the Jazz don't run it and push it and make him run, I don't – why? if you don't do it now, you, you'll never do it. Oh, come on. 44 minutes. Do you realize on May 17th, 1988 – the Jazz had three guys who played all 48 minutes in the Laker playoff series. Mm-hmm. Did they have to no, go you, back-to-back in a different time zone the next night? I don't know if it was the next night. I can look it up. But Malone, Stockton, and the immortal Bob Hansen. Thurl was a slacker. He only played 44. Come on, Thurl. Pick it up. <laughs> You're taking four minutes off. <laughs> Thurl played one minute, 44 off the bench, and somebody named Scott Rawls played one minute. <laughs> one minute. <laughs> Which probably wasn't even that much. It they wasn't. It's going to be like, it. yeah, it's like 41 seconds at the end of the third quarter, and they wanted to buy someone an extra long break with the quarter break. Yeah. Here, go play two possessions. And then they gave him a minute. <laughs> uh, the other guy to watch is Jeff Green, former jazz man. And no matter how many nice things people say in public, I think there was a lot of angst behind the screen, uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I think Jeff Green wasn't uh, buying whatever the jazz were selling. Uh, there's a season ticket. Well, I don't know if it's a season ticket. Although somebody goes to a lot of games anyway. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But he goes to a lot of games. Who called me? He's like, what is the deal with Jeff Green? His body language on the bench. Everyone else is up cheering, and he's looking up in the stands, shaking his head at somebody like, this is so college. Uh, and he got let go in the middle of the season. Now, he's you caught on. to a lot of people, man. He's bound. What? You talk to a lot of people. Yeah, not as many as you, but a lot, yes. Well, a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're a celebrity. He had 20 points last night. He had a good game, and he's been averaging 11 for them 
uh, the last couple of months here, or maybe as for the whole season, I have tickets, whole numbers, but it's um, actually averaging 10 for the season. He's listening to these last seven games, PK, because you're big on the whole you are who you are theory, right? Yeah. Uh, 11 points in a win against Boston, uh, and they've only lost one, uh, one game here this month. They are 6-1 uh, and one this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, 11 points, then 5, then 20 against the Knicks. 15 against the Pacers, 3 against Orlando, 3 against Washington, and then 20 points against Portland. So he's had a couple 20-point games. We know about revenge tours and people motivate against their former teams, and Jeff Green is kind of in the Ryan Fitzpatrick category. Well, he's got so many former teams, yeah. Right, exactly. And Fitzpatrick said the whole season's going to be a revenge tour for me because I played for the whole bleeping league. It was a a funny line out of him. And to Jeff Green, if if he saw it, was probably nodding going, I know how you feel, dude. Because uh, he's bounced around, but he's capable of a big game. So we'll see how that goes. Who's going to give the the Nets their firepower with no Durant, no Irving, and second night of a back to back having played on the West Coast last night? But well, they are playing was, well. Harden was 0 of 7 from 3, so that makes me a little nervous. Because mm-hmm. uh, he, can, he can get hot and score 36 in a blink of an eye. Uh, and then typically I look, why does Portland lose? Well, because I think that... Uh, Their two guys didn't uh, shoot it at all. like 10 of 37. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Lillard, C.J. McCollum, both really struggling. Every Portland box score, I go right to those two guys. So I, don't I, even look, I don't even look at the score. I go right <laughs> to those guys could tell you what happened, won or lose. Win February lose. 9th, the Nets went to Detroit and got beat, and Detroit's bad. And it dropped the Nets to 14 and 12. Since then... They are 16-2. and two. Dallas got them, and Orlando got them. And other than that, they have rolled through this, and they've played the Lakers, and they've played the Clippers, and they've played the Suns. They had a big road trip, and they beat those three teams all in a row. All in a row. Um, so they, they're, they're crushing it here. 16-2 uh, in their last 18 games. They are I mean, probably feeling the way the Jazz felt when they went 20 out of 21. Uh, but the schedule does work against them with the back-to-back here in different time zones. And if, yeah, and you're facing the league's best team mm-hmm. record-wise, and I hope we can say that we can eliminate record-wise, but we can't eliminate record-wise until the postseason. Uh, for we always got to throw in that little caveat, which is somewhat of a disrespect to the Jazz. Well, but you hear it all the time: uh, best team record-wise, because like we're a little reluctant to just call them the best team. Because they're the Jazz. If you want to crown them, then crown their asses. (laughs) That's a great thing about the pro sports, man. I don't need some committee or some bald-headed guy in the South saying, yeah, who wants Utah in? None of that has to happen. (laughs) Bald-headed guy in the South. Took me a minute to figure out where you were going there. What's his name? Paul Feinbaum. Feinbaum, there you go. And it was about Utah in the playoff. uh, A couple years ago. Right. Yeah, Yeah. with their 11-win season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wants to see Utah? Who wants to see Utah? And yeah. it's like, yeah, well, it's it's a beauty pageant, which which college football is to an extent. Once you once you introduce judges, it's a beauty pageant in football, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And so that is, which is why I don't really get into that. I get hyped up on the Pac-12 and have fun with that, and the other guys take their cake and eat it too. And we don't get to eat it sometimes, uh, most of the time. So, but the NBA, nope. So we're all out there. And you're going to get some referees that are going to make some screwy calls. But you're just going to have to play through that uh, over time. So uh, there you go. And I'm excited for this opportunity for the Jazz to get home now because they've been on the road for so long and to have this opportunity to 
just solidify the number one seed. You've come this far. You might as well get it. It was that uh, Paul Westfall used to have a saying in the Suns locker room when he was the coach. I think it was Westfall. We're we're playing a game tonight. We might as well win it, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that's just uh, that's just first cousin to you play the game to win the game. Yeah, and so why not get it? You know, if it's there to be had, go get it. Jazz are two games up on the Suns, four up on the Clippers, four up on the Lakers. The Lakers lost again, and I think now the uh, the favorite game for a lot of Laker fans is, well, how far are they going to fall, and then how much are they going to bounce back when they get LeBron and, and AD back? Lakers have lost three in a row. The Pelicans uh, 128-111 over the Lakers. The Pelicans well, are really rolling. They're the Jakers now. They're the G League. They're not the Lakers. They're the Jakers. I mean, this is such a watered-down team. As I said earlier this morning, it really gives you the appreciation for LeBron. And I don't know that he needs any more appreciation uh, as a ball player. If you don't like his speaking up on issues, that's your call. But as a ball player, I just don't know how can you not afford him the ultimate respect because he's just marvelous. And you see, as I brought up, when they were without Anthony Davis, they 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 weren't as good but they weren't this bad. Now, now they're missing two, and I believe if Anthony Davis was playing, they wouldn't be as good as if not having LeBron if, as opposed to having LeBron. He's just, and he's 36 years old, right? Isn't yep. he 36? It's just absolutely amazing. And who was it? I was watching uh, in the afternoons now, I flick around, see what's going on, these talk shows. Oh, my, my man who was insistent that Majerus one is going to take the uh Warriors job and was on the phone with me at 11:30 at night. I'm going with the story. I'm going with the story. Like he Rick wanted Buker. my yeah, Buker. He wanted my uh, approval, and I said, Rick, uh, you go with it. I'm not going with it. <laughs> so he obviously Majerus didn't take that job, but he was saying that he thinks uh, he he has a little conspiracy theory in him. He said because we saw what happened last year, right? We had a three month vacation. It wasn't a vacation, but it was a three-month layoff. And then LeBron comes back. He's got all sorts of juice. Mm -hmm. And they just roar to the finals and win it all, right? So his theory is, okay, wait a second. LeBron rolled over and clearly was big-time anguish, right? Mm -hmm. You can see it. It was scary. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, did he break something, right? Is the season over? Because the man was in obvious pain, and he's so indestructible that we don't ever see that from him. And he stays in and hits a three and then comes out. So Bucher was saying, well, during that time – Somebody thought, hey, well, now we got an excuse to rest him, and the league can't find us. Get him out of there. (laughs) So he was saying, look what happened last season when they had that big layoff. And so now get him out of there. Who cares if they they, they don't care? Finish whatever. What difference does it make to those guys, right? And especially LeBron. He didn't have to worry about what place he's going to finish in the regular season. So sit him out for two months and then have him come back, man, just like last season. And then he's roaring to go. So he was throwing that. He was sort of half joking, but he was yeah. putting that out there. I think he stayed in to hit the three because that stretched his string of games with ten points to one thousand and thirty-six. So, do you think he cares about that? Well, he stayed in and hit it, and then he called a timeout and left the court shortly afterward. 
reading from the game story. Now, maybe that was just his competitor like, yeah, it hurts, but it's a sprained ankle. I can shake it off. And maybe he ran up and down the court twice and realized, oh, I can't shake this off. This really hurts. I better get an MRI, you know. Maybe I do, you know, maybe I have some kind of fracture in the foot or whatever. So, because he did have an X-ray and an MRI that day. So maybe that was it. And maybe it was just dumb luck that he had seven and hit a corner three. I mean, I would think his legacy is not how many games he scored 10 points in a row. His legacy is, well, first off, he's LeBron, so his legacy set. But maybe in his mind, he's like, hey, I want to get that fifth and sixth title. I want to match of Magic course. and I want to match oh, Jordan. I, I, I you know? But I think that's I where... Think seven and eight It's just that. <laughs> yeah, right? 40-year-old LeBron just kicking everybody's butt and taking names. I'm the man! I, do, I don't think that that's why they're doing it, but I think that either he thought of it or somebody around him thought of it and immediately said, hey, you took, you took three months off and won it last time. Why should you get worn down carrying this team? It really doesn't matter if you're seated one, two, three, or four. It doesn't. You know? Maybe they want to be in the top six because you don't want to take a chance. You, know, you don't want to have to play the two extra games. If he's had all this time off... You know, if, if there's seven or eight, he'd have to lose two games, and he's not going to do that. They're going to be playing incredibly mediocre teams at that point. They won't lose twice if they have him and AD. So even the playing game, even if they're seven or eight, now if you're nine or ten, you'd only have to lose once, so I guess that's a little riskier. They just got to be healthy. Yeah, I can't see them dropping that far. If you check the standings right now, two games in the loss column would drop them from tied to third where they are right now. Uh, the Nuggets have 17, the Blazers and Spurs have 18. So that takes you to 7th pretty quick. Now, the Spurs are just going to play 500 ball the rest of the way, and if they trade guys, you know, I don't know if they're going to tear the team apart. or you know, Are they a buyer or seller at the deadline, or do they stand pat? they're a seller. Yeah. If they're a seller, then they drop even faster, at which point you know, the Mavericks are the next team you'd There's have two to things about. I can count on with the Spurs. I think they're going to sell, and I don't think Popovich is going to get a haircut. <laughs> So how far will the Clippers or the Lakers fall, and how much will they bounce back? The Clippers now ought to be thinking, well, we really ought to be top three here. Sure. Although they, the Nuggets are coming. They, Who knows? Uh, whose hair was in more dire need of a haircut? Whittingham during the football season or Ooh. Popovich during the basketball oh. season? Oh, you want to throw in Tim Lacombe? Well, come on, let's make it a three-way debate. No, Lacombe is just the typical, I am finally escaped the BYU rules. And now I can do whatever. So I'm growing it out. Yeah, everyone does that. I mean, Pope, when he gets another job, he's going to have a ponytail. <laughs> uh, PK, funny enough, based on that conversation we had yesterday, I had a guy down at BYU text me last night because he was down at practice. Hey, the Pro Day guys are back, and PK's dead on. There are beards galore. <laughs> Because it's true. It's exactly what it is. As soon as someone tells you, you're doing this, you want to do that. (laughs) Well, if you're forced to do it, yeah. You're doing this. I really want to do that. All right. uh, Other things we've talked about this morning. Anything else you want to pass along? Uh, BYU women's basketball, 5 o'clock against Arizona on ESPNU. Second round of the NCAA tournament. Jazz game doesn't start till late. So there you go. I am going to be decked in full BYU regalia. Nice. And I hope the Cougars are smoking. <laughs> Celtics Bucks are the early game in the ESPN doubleheader. That'll be that'll be on ESPN while the uh the BYU and Arizona women's game is going on on ESPNU. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. 
DJ PK, it is time for your feedback, everything you've got to say about today's show. What is going on with Joe Ingles? 18 of 22 from three. 81%. How's he doing this? He's up to 50% on the year now. Second best in the NBA. Daniel Moss says he's the emu. He's the Australian bird. (laughs) Okay. Uh... Bentley says, dude has a hot hand. He sends us a gif uh, from the movie. This guy's snapping his fingers, and fire comes out the end of his fingers. Oh, nice. J, uh, Z that Wilson. the human torch from the Fantastic Four. Thank you. Yeah. Z Wilson fanboy number one says, he's been drinking his morning cup of joe. Well, he know he does that, win or lose. <laughs> right. Miss, make or miss. And when I was a kid, I was probably about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old. I learned to snap my fingers. And I thought it was so cool. I kept doing it. I kept doing it. And later in the day, I snapped it and blood burst out of my thumb because I kept, I developed a blister and I didn't know it. I kept snapping my fingers so many times that day. You have more stories. I thought it was the coolest thing. (laughs) You have more stories. Yeah. Matt, just Matt says, as a kid once, I stood up and adjusted the rabbit ears during a jazz game and they started winning. So I stood there like that for the rest of the game. (laughs) Maybe some kid out there has the same power over Joe. That is so crazy to me, man. I told you I had a roommate when I was in college and at NAU, and he was a massive Suns fan. And he stood. They were losing, and they were playing Seattle in the playoffs. And he stood with a chair, and the, the back part of the chair was facing him, and he had his leg over it, so he's got one knee on it. And he and they made a comeback. He had to stand in that, that way with his knee over leg over the chair and his elbow on his knee leaning over on that chair for the rest of the game. <laughs> Guy responded with one of my favorite gifts, a movie I've only seen clips of. I've never seen it all the way through, nor do I think I need to because I don't think it has a plot. I think it's just a series of jokes. <laughs> yeah, remember uh, Will Ferrell did a NASCAR movie? Yes. And he's doing the post-race interview with his blonde yeah. wife with the glasses over his shoulder nodding. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. <laughs> yeah. He sent us that gift. Right now he's the best there is, man. This guy's amazing, man, and he's he's padding the stats. Now the three-point shooting, he, he's going to leave with the career mark. Someone will probably pass it because it's the nature of the threes, and he didn't get a lot of threes earlier when he was starting out, and plus he started out late. So wouldn't be surprised that Mitchell would catch him. I mean, you were talking about the box scores of that uh, 788 series. You said 28 and 24. I think it was 23 and 24. Okay. But but they took like uh, five three-pointers. <laughs> that's just a quarter for Joe. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh, that's crazy, man, to think. And you had, what you have, uh, five Hall of Famers in that series? Yep. Uh, three for the but, Lakers and two for the Jazz, and then they, they take four, five, three-pointers. That's it. But those were long shots, desperation shots, and now Joe shot his 10,000, and so he can shoot 50%. If, uh, if Michael Cooper had come out and started shooting 50%, Pat Riley probably would have said, hey, Michael, well, I bet you take not, some more threes. Actually, no, but Byron Scott, in the one game I looked at, he was two for two. Nice. What did he that's shoot for it. the year, though? Uh, I, I I'll bet he didn't shoot 50%. <laughs> No, he did it from three. No, I know, right? But you don't. But that statistically, you don't need to shoot fifty percent from three no, to don't. have it be considered a good shot no, because it's don't. worth one more point. Obviously, 
The two for five gets people excited. You get to 40% and you yeah. are getting the green light. Papa yes. Dave says, Joe's married to Renee. He's afraid of losing her, so he thought he'd better raise up his game. Okay. Here it is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, TJ thinks he sold his soul. No! <laughs> oh, that's, that was a great transaction. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scott are coming up next. We will see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.